You're listening to the Smart Policy Podcast, a production of the University of Tennessee's Institute for Public Service. Live music venues might not be the kind of place that pops into mind when you think about preventing overdose deaths. And that's even if you're a musician, a fan, or a venue owner. And even if you do think there should be naloxone at concerts, there might be concerns of legal liability or a fear that you might promote drug use at your club, or maybe even it's as simple as the nasal spray is just too expensive. Naloxone is not always easy to find. One of the first things we do when we go on site at a place like Bonnaroo is we reach out to the security and nine out of 10 times, they don't have naloxone on their person. This is why Gibson Gives, the nonprofit wing of Gibson Brand Guitars, a personal favorite of mine, joined up with numerous other music-themed nonprofits to create Tempo, training and empowering musicians to prevent overdose. Tempo has recently made waves in Nashville with a pilot program in partnership with Hikma, the manufacturer of Clixado, as well as OneBox, to distribute high-tech overdose-reversing first aid kits to music venues at no cost. They call it the purple box, and you know, look for the purple box when you're trying to save a life. And so it runs a video that walks you through saving somebody's life in real time. We at the SMART Initiative were impressed by their immediate results. So we reached out to see about launching a similar program in Knoxville. Within a week of distributing some of the boxes ourselves, I got a call from one of the venue managers that they had already reversed an overdose, and they had used one of these purple boxes to do it. In this episode, I interview both Dendi Jarrett, the executive director of Gibson Gives, about Tempo and this program, as well as the manager of the Knoxville venue where that life was saved. Being a musician, a fan, or a venue employee in the age of fentanyl is unpredictable, and as a musician myself, this project means a lot to me personally. You don't want to miss this episode. Gibson Gibbs is the philanthropic arm of Gibson Brands, Inc. You know, we focus mainly on music education and music wellness. And out of the reimagination in 2019 of the Gibson Foundation to Gibson Gibbs, I got a call uh, from a family friend. So my father was the commissioner of the Department of Health and Environmental Control in South Carolina. So I grew up in a household uh, where public health was a supper time conversation just yeah. about every night. And so I got a call from a, a family friend who owns a nonprofit in Charlotte and just said, hey, you're a musician. He did not even know I was at Gibson. He just called because I'm a musician. And they his uh, nonprofit provides drugs like insulin to families who need insulin and can't afford it. So they, they, but he'd kind of gotten into the overdose space and he just said, what, why are we seeing such a spike in music, in the music community and overdose? And I said, well, you know, as a musician, personally, it's just never a scene that I related to. I've never done drugs, but I've seen others do it. And I think it's because you're just in the environment. So you are putting yourself in a position to be exposed to it when you're a musician, whether it's a fan or just members of the band or members of the crew or whatever. So I don't think musicians by definition are druggies. You know, right. I think it's, um, and I'm air quoting around that. I think it's just because you're just in the environment. And so it's it's a little easier to access. And I just said, tell me what you're trying to do. And 
So that led to a conversation with Music Cares, who's one of our partners. It's uh, part of the Grammys. Uh, Music Cares provides uh, uh, emergency assistance to musicians. And Music Cares already had a program, but it just never had gotten legs. And I just said, look, I, I totally believe that the rising tide will lift all boats. What if we just collaborate? And so we created Tempo, which proudly my kids actually came up with the acronym. And Tempo is training and empowering musicians to prevent overdose. And you can find more about it at tempomission.org. And while it's a program of Gibson Gives, it's almost like a standalone uh, entity. So we gave it its own website. And basically, we educate musicians on what overdose is, what overdose looks like, and then we provide naloxone uh, and naloxone training. And so we we started out at first putting these, uh, you know, this this in practice at festivals like uh, Bonnaroo or the Pilgrimage Festival, um, Coachella. And we uh, now what's happened is uh, Tempo has become 16 like-minded nonprofits that are all working together. So what's happened now is it's becoming a movement. It got the attention of HICMA. HICMA makes naloxone in an eight milligram dose, and they made a million dollar grant of product to help us facilitate growing this program. Naloxone is not always easy to find. One of the first mm. things we do when we go on site at a place like Bonnaroo is we reach out to the security and nine out of 10 times, they don't have naloxone on their person. Mm. And so the first thing we do is we give all the security people uh, naloxone. You know, the, the strange thing about uh, naloxone, naloxone training is a lot of people are kind of fearful right. of, of uh, what it is. You know, if I give it, is it going to hurt somebody? Naloxone is benign. It will not hurt you. You can give it to an infant as young as one year old and it will have no net negative effect. Now, I'm not saying that there's not somebody out there that might be allergic to it, but by and large, it is a harmless product. If you suspect somebody's overdosing, give it to them. As, as Tempo grew, we we um, started partnering with more and more uh, of these nonprofits, and we're now putting these uh, the product on tour buses, at rehearsal facilities. And then this past January, we partnered with the, the Metro Nashville Police Department. They recognized in a sort of a heat map fashion, if you will, that there was a large spike in overdoses in Lower Broadway and Printer's Alley and around mm. some of the bigger areas where uh, live music is prevalent. So we we introduced the live music uh, venue program with Tempo. We partnered with a company called One Box. This is a, uh, a One Box. I know your radio audience can't see, but uh, this is a One Box. It's, it's a box that contains uh, naloxone. And what's really brilliant about it is that when you open it up, it's got a, a CPR kit. We stock it with two doses of naloxone. But then when you open it, it will autoplay. Let's, let's take a deep breath. Step number one is to check to see if somebody really is unresponsive. So it, it runs a video that walks you through saving somebody's life in real time. And then it also has a Spanish button. So you can uh, press that for Spanish it also has a training mode so that if you put one of these in a venue, they can they can train their staff just from the video that's that's in here. And it's a rechargeable 
system. So I actually open each one of these and I load it with two doses of uh, Cloxado, the eight milligram dose. And then I hand apply the decal that says powered by Tempo with our tempomission.org uh, website. I re-put it in the box. I seal the box back up and then I mail them out. I do every single one of these by hand by myself because we are a team of, of a, a few, just very few. And so I, during meetings like we're having now, I'll be hand applying these labels to the boxes. So, but, you know, it's uh, I, I'm rewarded by it because we're saving lives. It reminds me of some of the prior conversations I've had. This problem seems so big. And how are we going to fix all this? And, you know, you just say just one at a time, just one at a time. It, it, it is the proverbial eating the elephant one bite at a time. And, and that's how we're going to. That's how we're going to, we have to attack this. And so we we placed 70 of these in downtown Nashville, and it became really successful. We put them in right before 4th of July, and, and we got a call the week after that we had saved a life with one of these units. Fast forward, that program that we did in, in Nashville kind of got the attention of some folks in, in Knoxville. And so they reached out and said, hey, uh, <laughs> We kind of like what we saw here. Do you do you think we could replicate that program? And so we sent our first 10, I think it was 10 or 15 of the one boxes uh, over to the smart folks there at uh, UT. And you guys placed, uh, I think, 10 of them. And within a week, you'd already saved a life. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. It, it, I mean, like, you know, it's just really proof positive of why this is needed. Saving one life makes the entire effort worthwhile and what you should know is that you know now that we've we're putting these in knoxville that's got the attention of athens georgia athens being a really strong music town with indigo girls and rem and fred schneider b52s all coming out of that area so now we're placing these in uh in athens and that got the attention of a counterpart in atlanta and so now we're reaching out into atlanta We've been contacted by Waukesha County and uh, where Les Paul, who's famous for the Gibson Les Paul, sure. uh, he's from, and they want to do the program there in his honor. And so it's just really kind of, it's not a full-time focus for, for Gibson Gives. It is something that we do as we can, uh, mm. as we're growing it, but it's it's mushrooming <laughs> rapidly. Now that you've heard about Tempo and the One Box with Clixado, Here's the venue manager in Knoxville talking to me about what it was like using one, as well as what it's like to be a venue manager and employee in the age of fentanyl. He has asked to remain anonymous. I was going to say we've had two in the last probably five months. I hired an employee that's had to actually deal with it uh, on her first day of work and then again this weekend and happened again. So that's about a five month span. She started back in May. So there's been two. During that time period, the first one, we didn't have anything in the building. Uh, we called the paramedics. They came using the Narcan. Right. Um, second time, you guys have brought the, the box in. We used that uh, this past weekend. Um, also hired a new employee that started on that day. So we are now two for two for new employees that have had to deal with overdoses on the first day they started within a five-month period. So, you know, I was out of this business. I've been in this business for almost 24 years with about a four-year break in it. But I got out uh, between 2017 and 2021, 22, around that time. 
started to get back into it. And it was just amazing, or not amazing, but just I, I, how much it's changed that, you know, we went from industry to where alcohol was the main focus, that we were worried about people getting too drunk at bars, you know, and providing rides home. Right. And that was our main issue, was the ABC classes. And now we're dealing with that you can have somebody walk in your door and sit there and die, you know, for yeah. nothing that we have done really um, beknownst to us. Um, so it's a, it just... It, it, it just crazy how much that's changed the responsibility of what we're asking our staff to do now from um, you know they've been certified with ABC for years and that's always regulated by the state you know and it's such a big deal that that's taken care of well now you know we've got this much 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 more immense responsibility that's just going unnoticed that I would say a majority of bars are probably having to deal with and just don't say much about it publicly um, and that's, I, I don't know if they don't want to get a stigma that people are using drugs in their place or what it is. Um, they don't want to be known for that, I would guess, but <laughs> it's becoming to where it's not necessarily that you're known for it, everything's known for it, and I feel like just people aren't mentioning these days. Yeah. yeah. Already in our experience with this program, that's that's what we've encountered, is that uh, many places are already carrying it yeah. uh, and have already dealt with it, and the same hesitancy. They, they don't want to advertise. Like it, it, It's a strange situation to have saved a life but not want to advertise it. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Well, and, well, and it's also, I, I guess... There's cocaine that's kind of always going along with bars that, that usually has. And so that's a problem. But now it's that, you know, somebody that's doing that can have fentanyl mixed with it. And they unbeknownst to them, and it's not even a choice that they made necessarily. You know, they've chosen something to do something illegal, but it's not a conscious decision of something that they, they're known or familiar with. You know, right. I want they, cocaine. I don't want opioids. Yeah, and right. it's getting mixed up, and it's and it's... So sometimes I think that we're dealing with issues where people just aren't aware of what's out there and what's what's going on, um, and it became to where it's just such more more much thing you know from chasing people out of the bathrooms or doing cocaine to yeah. picking people up off the floor you know it's right. a totally different issue. Um, so it's just a it's I, and I'm not sure what we do about it to change that environment or to change you know or to even bring attention to it like you. We'll think with WBR or like our local news, somebody would do a news article on it or a story on it. But if they can't get people to interview or talk about it or point out, you know, it's hard to even try to bring that up or to or how many bars want to say, yeah, it happened at our place this year. Um, it's interesting to hear that there's already such a conversation behind the scenes. It, it does make sense uh, being that, um, like I said, from from our perspective, we've certainly been seeing that people are saying they have seen it um, and that lack of data is an issue. Uh, that's something we focus on a lot. But uh, something that, when you told me about the incident, uh, really stuck out to me was that uh, uh, you said, what, seven minutes from identifying the yeah. situation to administering the naloxone. Yeah, so what happened, I mean, just kind of details and, and why I'm kind of confident that it was an opioid-based something or another, because you know, you're always... Uh, right, were they just too yeah, drunk? Yeah, or, were they too or, drunk or they overdosed? But in this situation, somebody we're familiar with um, that comes in here often... Um, she drank one drink, was in this building within five minutes, and had gone from having that drink to passed out on the bar within five minutes. When the bathroom came back out, was passed out on the bar five minutes. And one of our bartenders was mentioning, you know, now I know the difference between somebody that's just passed out of the bar and someone that stopped breathing. You know, she collapsed at the bar. They brought her over into a booth, and, like, her lips were going purple. Her fingernails were turning purple. Like, she had stopped breathing. Um, eyes had rolled back in her head. Uh, so they 
you have got a, a video of it you can see within it, it, probably the seven minute span she goes in the back gets the box starts calling 911 i think they give her that first dose of narcan after they realize that she has completely stopped breathing um, one of our bar patrons actually sitting around here gets up and goes and gives her starts giving her cpr while they're on the phone at 911 they gave her the second dose of narcan and within minutes of that she sat straight up um, in the floor and within probably a minute of that, the EMTs walked in the building afterwards. So it was, it was she was awake before they got here. Do you think this should be standard in bars? That, that's such, such like a first aid kit for opioid response? Yes, but I almost believe that it should be something that is dealt with with the health department almost. You know, it's mm. like if they can regulate an ABC and requires to have a license to serve people, if we're going to have to deal with this responsibility, then, right. you know, there should be some government backing in that, not just, I mean, I have a shot of Narcan other than the box because one of my employees, the same girl actually that got this box, and it's the one that's dealt with it twice now, um, ordered it for herself. She used the hotline and called and ordered it a, a free dose for to, to bring into here. Yeah. We're relying on that, our employees to do that. It's, you know, so for us, it was like, trying to deal with also do we now not allow that person to come back in because of the choices they make and that's a whole other thing that we you know we've got a whole list of people that we have banned because of different drug use you know and that kind of thing and it's now that's also in that topic and we've ended up uh, we're going to ban her from the place uh, because you know to, to us there was there was nothing else it could have been well even just the risk of risk of dealing with it you know to yeah. us it's not necessarily so much it's not about them or the person, the incident is that why would you put that responsibility on us? Because that's what this is in a lot of situations, I feel like, is that, and that's, I think that some people might be reticent to the Narcan, and I don't know if that's ever been brought to you, that it, in a way there's a sense of enablement to it, that you now people that are using those drugs feel like, well, it's safe, I can go on public and use this because if I OD, I've got people around me that will take care of me and Narcan's available, you know? So it, it, that conversation has always kind of been in the back of my head of carrying it of like you know are we enabling people to do that and making it feel like well it's no big deal I go in a bar in a public atmosphere where I'll, where it's safe and if I OD somebody will, will take care of me mm -hmm. um, but I don't now after this situation I don't think that it, I think the answer is you still carry it regardless right yeah. right kind of like having a fire extinguisher you hope you never have to use same it, yeah, yeah same kind of situation gotcha yeah. no that's interesting it's interesting that this this uh, maybe changed the conversation a bit. Yeah, I think so. Well, that employee bought it and not allowed him to carry it. It was one of those things. It was like, I don't think that, you know, we advertise that we've got Narcan and stuff. But sure. they asked, can we buy some? And said, yeah, we can buy some. So it, it, we had it four or five months ago that we had, you know, decided we had it, should have it in there. But that was actually an incident that we had somebody else overdosing that we didn't have anything. We had to call the paramedics and essentially we had to wait until they got here and, right. and used it. Well, considering what happened then and that the box has a training function, are you considering using that on your staff? Um, yeah, I have a very small staff. And honestly, at this point, after that incident, <laughs> there were five of the eight employees I have here were here. So a crash course. <laughs> they've all pretty much seen it at this point. Um, and the remaining two, I'm almost positive that the people involved are going to explain to them how, you know, um, I work different shifts than a couple of them, but it will be conveyed to them to try to show them how to use that. Okay. Um, but essentially, minors, you know, opening it is the, is the biggest step. They just open the box and it's got.
got the video started. I really appreciate you speaking with me about this. I think your insight is extremely valuable. And like you said, not enough people are being open because they can't. Yeah. Um, is there anything in particular you think you would like legislature, community leaders, health department? You, you've said some good things, I think, that are worth listening to. Is there anything else on, on your mind that you might like heard? Um, I don't think so necessarily. You know, just that... We're trying to do the best, you know, and a lot of people because that and when it does start to come out or say people find out where things like that happen, that it's, you know, we're not doing anything different than anybody else is. You know, right. it's not our fault that it happened. We're not we're not providing an environment where those things can happen. It's it's rampant throughout the population and all different things. You know, I'm to the point now where I feel like you're going to start seeing this in everyday just jobs. You know, somebody just come back, sit down at their desk and pass out that it's not even going to be necessarily a bar situation. So it's, you know, I, I think the stigma has got to get away from that, you know, we're causing it or somehow providing an atmosphere that allows that to happen. Um, and then once I feel like that that thought changes a little bit, that people will start addressing with solving the issue. Um, ultimately, you know, the stuff just needs to be quit being produced, but that's a that's a whole other topic. <laughs> that's an international topic, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a much, much, much more uh, bigger problem. But All right. Yep. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Again, I think there's also a lot of concerns around liability, and right. the Good Samaritan law really covers anybody. If you're making an effort to save somebody's life, that's what you need to do. And yeah. you know, the Good Samaritan laws kind of blanket you uh, from any potential harm from that. I mean, we ran into issues in Nashville with some of the bigger venues because of the, you know, they all have legal departments and. Yeah, understandably, there's concern about liability and whatnot, and we actually ended up having the the um, security firm for these uh, advocate on our behalf. Uh, the head of the security firm is actually a former uh, Nashville Metro police officer and a paramedic, so he he understood the importance of this, and so he actually went to uh, the legal team at these larger venues and advocated on our behalf and was able to break the barriers down. And, you know, I think once people understand uh, what we're trying to do, uh, we're not we're not trying to mark you as a place where overdose happens. Overdose is happening everywhere. It's not because of where you are or what you're doing now. You know, granted, uh, Lower Broadway in Nashville uh, sees a higher level of overdose, but it's because there's a higher level of, of concentration of people. Right. It's not because, of, you know, that people are going down there just to do drugs. It's it's just because there are more people there. So more people, more opportunity for overdose. And that's what's happening. And, you know, quite frankly, people go out to have fun at a live music venue. That's where they're tending to do a little bit more drinking and a little more experimenting, you know. And so that that uh, that can also be a contributing factor. Well, that's why we think of it as uh, you put life preservers where there's water. Exactly. Exactly. Right. There are some other laws worth keeping in mind that we've been telling people about, like a a pending law. This one hasn't passed, but may that uh, would require any any place that serves alcohol, which does include a lot of music venues, uh, uh, making a certain amount of sales to carry naloxone on board. And in fact, we did encounter that several places did already carry naloxone, but the location wasn't great. It was like in a box somewhere that wasn't easily accessible uh, or in a drawer or something. And th- there wasn't such a clear first aid type approach. 
And uh, that was a big game changer, especially uh, especially factoring in that this box uh, also offers a training component. That was very appealing because uh, a lot of a lot of people are unsure of how to even use the stuff. Well, I think you know to your point, the the one box with the autoplay video takes away a lot of the the fear factor uh, for for a venue owner because they're like, I don't know anything about it, but hey, guess what? This video will tell everything that we need to know about it, and yeah. so it, it does. It it takes away that that fear barrier that might uh, provide somebody to push back. And I think you know a large part of this is just awareness, um, Jeremy. I think that uh, and to your your point also, um, I believe that you probably face the possibility of more liability by not having it than by having it and you know think of a place catching on fire not having a fire extinguisher or a fire suppression system i mean that you know i think that's why these laws are on the book and i feel pretty confident they're going to pass saying that you really have to have this product on display what we try to do is that uh, i will tell you that the guy who created uh, the one box is a musician he's also a great gibson fan and um he created it because he was attending a university, came upon a fellow student who was overdosing in a rehearsal room Mm. and knew there was naloxone in the building, but it was locked in the Dean's office and they lost the student. And he was like, we need something that goes next to the first aid kit or next to the defib that you know, people will know. So they develop yeah. this thing and they, they call it the purple box and, you know, look for the purple box when you're trying to save a life. And so they've partnered with us along with HICMA and they they provide these one boxes. It's, you know, that's not an inexpensive unit. It's about loaded with products, about $400 a piece. And then we just make them available to you guys. And of course, we do take donations at, at uh, tempomission.org to help us fund the, the cost of distributing the the boxes and that sort of thing, but um, we're happy to do it. We feel like that whether you're a musician or a fan of a musician, this is a crisis that just, I mean, we lost our minds when the pandemic hit and this thing is killing more people than the pandemic ever thought about killing. And nobody's sounding the alarms. You're seeing more of it on the, like your nightly news and whatnot, but we should be shouting from the rooftops. This is, it's really prevalent. And then, you know, now we're seeing a lot of, unfortunately, residual deaths happening. Uh, parents checking into uh, an Airbnb and the previous uh, person who stayed there used and left a residual. It gets on their kids' hands. Kids touch their mouth. They ingest it, and it doesn't take very much. It sends them into an overdose, and the parents don't know what's happening to their child, and unfortunately, the child dies. And I'm not making that story up. This is it's commonplace. And so I think just educating people that this is a crisis. Um, and so we feel like that with uh, Gibson Gives, with the Tempo program resonating through our artists, that we can make an impact and draw attention to, to what needs to be done. So something that struck me, you, you mentioned how no one's raising the alarms uh, in the space. And, and, and 
I certainly sympathize to that fact. Even the places we went to, there was where there was uh, enthusiasm for what we were seeking to do, and they, you know, took the box and 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 so on and so forth. There has been repeatedly a hesitancy to be too loud, to to openly identify as carrying it, or uh, or, or or to even announce a success story, because there is a fear that they'll put out the. Uh, we'll call it the illusion or the myth that this is where people do drugs. And the thing is, in, in my conversations with these, with these managers in, in multiple venues, multiple, multiple venues, is it's happening everywhere. It, it's, it's happening in every location. It, you know, it is. There's, there's not a place that isn't touched by it. It, it is. And I mean, look, you think about, uh, you know, I'm much older than you, Jeremy, but I've played a lot of clubs in my life and I can remember being in clubs where you couldn't see you know the lead singer in front of you because there was so much smoke in the place and we didn't know at the time that that was not healthy for you I mean we kind of had an idea but uh, you know society accept that as a norm we have to look at this like uh, this this makes cigarette smoke pale in comparison with the net negative effect and how fast and how rapidly this is growing uh, at an epidemic rate in this mm-hmm. country. And so tempo, uh, there are a lot of times with uh, with our tempo mission that I feel like we're just not doing enough, but we're doing as much as we can. And I think, you know, partnering with people like you guys and you taking it to live music venues, educating the owners there, and then saving a life. The first time they save a life, they're wanting more, and they're starting to tell their other club owners uh, about the, this thing that happened, and they really <laughs> need to reach out to you to have this product available. So we we fix this problem by raising awareness, and um, you know you can't fix a problem until you admit that you have one. It's unfortunate that, and I will say this, Jeremy, and you probably can attest to this, for the longest time, I mean, this isn't really a new problem. I think that because of the level of fentanyl that we're seeing in product now, it's becoming uh, more talked about. But this has been, it's been associated with shame for a lot of people for many, many years. This is the thing that the family didn't want to talk about. And when you don't talk about it, you lose lives. And so I think it's so important now that we as a society are opening up and acknowledging that we have this situation and we need to talk about it. Families need to talk about it. Kids need to be talked to about don't take candy, don't take any kind of, you know, what you think is an over-the-counter drug from a friend. You just don't do it. It's, you just can't do it. All right, well, Denny, it was awesome talking to you, man. Same here, bro. I appreciate you. For more episodes on in-depth discussions on Tennessee policies related to substance use disorder by a range of local experts, please subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts and visit our website at smart.tennessee.edu. I'm Jeremy Corvellis. Thank you for listening and see you next month.